Welcome to another Art of Relationships podcast. Uh, it's good to have you here, uh, Tim. We've been spending some time talking about uh, spiritually defending your marriage um, and the ability for an enemy to come in and disrupt that which is a very um, close, intimate relationship that we have with another person in our marriages and even in our relationships. So it's been a great topic, uh, and it's a tough one because there's a lot of debate out there and a lot of misinformation, and then uh, you can kind of fall on one of two sides we talked about, either overemphasizing this or underemphasizing this. So I look forward to talking more about it. And don't you think, Chris, that a lot of mistakes modern Christians make is not not that we um, attribute everything to him, but that most Christian marriages don't attribute anything to mm-hmm. Satan. Satan's not a blip on the screen. What I find fascinating, Chris, is that roughly 25% of everything Jesus said had to do with spiritual yeah. battle. Yeah. So it was a regular topic for him, and he did not shy away from the fact that this is a, sp- a world in which spiritual battle is happening and that couples need to realize marriage doesn't happen on a romantic balcony, but rather, rather on a spiritual battlefield. It does. And Tim, the, the, the amount of time spent, literally um, almost every uh, author in the Bible in the New Testament talked about this idea, the reality of a spiritual warfare, right? Paul elaborates on it in many different places. Um, but literally every book in there, it's just it was just clear that this was an accepted reality, and yeah. and the world hasn't changed all that much. It's not, so, boy. That's evident, right, Chris? If we watch the news, if you just take a look at headlines, it's just obvious that something is wrong with the world today. That yeah. politics can't fix, economics can't fix, but it feels as though there's a a war going happening, yeah. and we're kind of caught in the crossfire, and that, that's a biblical view of, of what's happening in the world today. Yeah, so let's let's continue the conversation talking a little bit about different ways um, that Satan approaches this and that we then uh, can be more aware of this battle in, in our own marriages and in relationships. So. So in researching this topic, I was really curious, well, okay, so how can you definitively know if this is a spiritual attack or just uh, Noreen and I having a bad day or the kids are having a bad day or or you and your colleague at work? It's just a bad day and human beings rub each other the wrong way sometimes. But but how can you tell if there's spiritual attack? So Chris, I read about 40 books on spiritual (laughs) battle and um, I, I, I wanted to see, were there signs of the demonic that everybody mentioned. right? And I came up with a top five list that made everybody's list. I also have an honorable mention list we can kind of kick around. But before we get to the top five, Mm. uh, we have to answer a really frightening question for many people, and that is, is it possible for Satan to plant thoughts in your mind? And uh, most theologians I've read assert that in fact, Satan can do that. He can't read your mind. Mm but he can plant thoughts. Now, what's the biblical evidence for that? Well, I think there is evidence in the Old Testament, New Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, we learn that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. That's First Chronicles. Now, it may seem wise for a king to take census of his troops, troop strength, but what the scriptures say is that he had put his trust in the army and not God. Mm -hmm. But he was incited to take a census for the wrong reasons by Satan. Um, And then we also see that um, uh, 
In the New Testament, we see that Satan is able to put the idea of betrayal into the heart of Judas Mm -hmm. and greed into the mind of Ananias to lie about an amount uh, that he had given as an offering to the church. That's Acts chapter 5. We even get evidence that Jesus had thoughts planted in his mind by Satan. For example, in the wilderness tempting, Satan is taken to the top of a mountain and shown all the splendor of earthly kingdoms by Satan. Now, theologians will note that on that small mountaintop, he couldn't see all the kingdoms, right? But Satan was able to give him a panoramic view of all the kingdoms of the world, past, present, future, and that's what Jesus was looking at. So, Satan was able to even plant thoughts into the mind of Jesus. So, we do think that Satan can plant thoughts of anger, betrayal, jealousy, greed, um, things like that. So, that's important because when we get to this top five list... Uh, we're going to see that a lot of them have to do with thoughts that we have. Yeah, and I and I think too, Tim. And in, in when you spend time reading in this area, you recognize uh, again that that kind of craftiness. Um, we also recognize there are limits, right, yeah. to Satan's ca- uh, capacity and abilities. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at once. That's right. Uh, he's not like God in that way. And yet he has hosts uh, of people and fallen angels, and they can yeah. very well do his bidding. And and so each of us, while maybe not directly confronted by Satan himself, are on a regular basis dealing with uh, enemies of Jesus and enemies of God who have fallen and in yeah. the spiritual it's realm. It's a great point. It's a great point to say that Satan's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. So we kind of use that term... Uh, kind of in a loose way. So Satan most likely isn't dealing with your marriage, right? You Mm -hmm. probably don't rank that high on the hit list. (laughs) Most likely it's a demon that's doing that. And we do know that Satan is kind of localized. Uh, Being from Michigan, I know he's localized in Columbus, Ohio, (laughs) the home of Ohio State, which we know are Satan's spawn. So, but it's probably, I digress a little bit. Uh, Quite a bit. (laughs) I have a lot of evidence, Chris. (laughs) That he lives there uh, very often, but okay. So, what are the top five? If we took a, if you read forty books on spiritual battle, what would be signs that would come up in everybody's book? Mm-hmm. So, here's the very first uh, sign of the demonic: uh, is that you wear uh, Ohio State paraphernalia. No, <laughs> can okay. I digress? Okay, here we go. All right, the first one is inappropriate anger. Right? Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. So anger in itself can even be a righteous emotion, right? We get angry about things because it's righteous that we would get angry about it. But here, Paul's saying, but here you have given full vent to your anger. Mm -hmm. Your anger has turned inward Mm -hmm. or it's turned outward towards Mm -hmm. a person. And that is harming your relationship with that person. So this is inappropriate anger towards yourself or another person. Yeah, and I think that's what that emotion of anger does, Tim. Uh, Anger becomes a very selfish emotion because now you're turned very much inward. You're dealing with almost an overwhelming sense of feeling these things. But what it does is it colors our perceptions. And so therefore, everything that a spouse is doing is wrong or bad during those times. So So we misinterpret their behaviors oftentimes. And I think that's a pretty common and well-found psychological principle of the role of 
anger can underlie so many oh, of man. our perceptions and views of another person. And so therefore, you are now interpreting or misinterpreting a lot of the other person. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.9, he says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, right, everything you do provokes me. Yeah. And that's what you're saying is that this anger overwhelms yeah. you. And now you no longer think good thoughts about your spouse or a child or a yeah. coworker. And every single, we've been there, right, Chris? Yeah. Every yeah. single thing your spouse does bugs you. Yeah. That's a sign yeah. that maybe Satan is, and by the way, there may be things that your spouse does that provokes you, mm-hmm. that needs to be talked about, mm-hmm. but Satan is using that provocation, yep. wanting it to cement and to, as you said, color everything. So if you find yourself just overwhelmed with anger, mm-hmm. right? I, I, and we've all had that. You can't even go to sleep at night because you're so angry at a person. That's really a good sign that Satan is getting a foothold. He's stoking the fires of anger. And that's when I would take action. I, I think that's so good, Tim. I, you know, going back to Ephesians 4, that 31, how, listen to how many times he uses a variation of the word anger, right? Let all bitterness, which anger unde- not dealt with, anger that is given root and, and allows to grow turns into bitterness. So let bitterness, but watch this, and wrath and anger Gosh. and clamor and slander along with all malice. How many words can he use for- In case you missed it. In case you missed it. Malice. Let me repeat it again. <laughs> Put that off. And so Tim, right. you're right. That is really an important sign. Uh, And for couples who are dealing with this, uh, most of the time, it's something that's manageable. But sometimes, Tim, this anger can get to a point where it's just really leads into some very bad things. And that's where couples that are struggling with this, that turns into physical violence or verbal abuse. We've talked about that on other podcasts. They need to seek immediate professional help and not be, yeah, call it a spiritual warfare battle. But there's also some other things going on that you need help with in this relationship. Oh, I totally agree with that. All right. The next one. Yeah. Sense of impending doom. So due to financial pressures, potential parenting issues, disagreements, unexpected health issues, all marriages go through anxiety uh, producing stretches. Of course, I mean, what if one of our jobs gets axed? Uh, Are we saving enough? Are the kids making the right kind of friends? Uh, Will we ever be able to have children? That's all normal. I I get that. We we live in anxious times. Mm -hmm. What, What these writers have talked about, these Christian writers who talk about spiritual battle is, this is a sense that we are going to be doomed, right? Um, If you don't get this promotion, we're done. Mm -hmm. If if we give more money to church, it's going to ruin our bank account. Um, Mm -hmm. I know this is going to be cancer. And if it's cancer, I know I'm going to die. And so you can't shake a sense of doom Mm -hmm. that has totally saturated you. Yeah. And Tim, uh, from, again, a psychological standpoint, anxiety is common and normal in everyday life. We just simply will deal with things. Here's that what what doom, if you want to know more what that means, it means the inability to stop the the cycle, the, the thoughts, to get out of this pattern of thinking. And so it escalates and it spreads spirals downward. And at the bottom of that spiral is the word, is where you coming up with this word doom. But what it means is the we just, I worry about this or I worry about that. But the inability to stop thinking about that is when it becomes what we call abnormal or anxiety yeah, becomes to a point where it becomes overwhelming. That is an important point of recognizing, ah, is this one of those times where Satan is pushing or not allowing me to get control of a thought or stop the thought or break this chain. And so it's a great sign. 
And you've said this in the past, Chris, and I hope listeners hear us when we say this. Again, so if you feel like you're having this overwhelming sense of doom, we're not saying the only response is like warfare priors. Yeah, we're right. also saying go see a doctor. That's right. There could be chemical reasons for this. Mm-hmm. There could be depression reasons mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. this. So we will always want to take a holistic approach to all of these issues, which is spiritual, physical, emotional, medical. So please hear us when we say that. Right. All right, another one. This one surprised me, Chris. Mm-hmm. Violent dreams. Yeah. Um, you wake up with your heart pounding. Mm-hmm. Images of your spouse dying or children being separated from you during a violent accident seem so incredibly real, and it produces overwhelming yeah. sense of fear. I have a friend of mine who teaches classes on spiritual battle, and he often pulls his students and says, what are signs of the demonic? Every single time he said violent dreams is one of the top indicators mm-hmm. that Satan is literally wanting to scare us, mm-hmm. to to um, make us tentative, to take away the sense of safety, and he uses violent dreams to do it. Yeah, and part of that, uh, Tim, is as well, it's uh, not only violent dreams, but it's also the fear that you are about to die or yeah. fear that something is bad about to happen to you. And I and I do think that it's pretty common at times for people to wake up with anxious dreams. I mean, the physiology of the body during a dream allows for this variation in our fear or anxieties. But when it becomes a pattern or a habit, um, and sometimes if you can say, if you wake up, you sense that or feel it, and you begin praying and seeking God's comfort, and you are comforted and you are able to go back, that very well could have been a sign. It's not every single time, because if so, you know, you'd say, every night I wake up kind of anxious and worried, (laughs) but it is more is it every night and is it a pattern and yeah. is there something going on that maybe is not maybe dealt with or not resolved? Yeah. And so we mentioned this book I wrote called Defending Your Marriage in Varsity Press. Um, one thing that got me thinking about the book is, as you know, I served as the interim teaching pastor at a church that was mm-hmm. looking for a new pastor. Mm-hmm. And so, Chris, when I was presented with this idea that I was going to add this to a teaching schedule, that night, Chris, I had a dream that people were coming up our stairs. Mm-hmm. They weren't there to rob me and Noreen. They were, they were there to kill us. Yeah. And I literally, I'm, a, I'm standing by our door. My heart is pounding like crazy. My hands are made into fists and I'm gonna attack these people as they come through the door. Mm-hmm. And Chris, I stood there, I don't know how long, and then I thought to myself, I went, why didn't the alarm go off? Why didn't the dog bark? I opened the door, there was nobody out there. Mm-hmm. I go back to bed, my, again, my heart is pounding. Next night, exact same dream. Mm. Next night, exact same dream. One of the elders from the church called me and said, hey, we want to pray for you as you're making this decision whether to do this. And I said, hey, can I mention this dream to you? He's like, yeah. And I mentioned, he said, listen, we're calling the elders together tonight to pray for you. This is spiritual battle. So, and again, I've not had many of those, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that... uh, was amazing for three nights in a row. It was frightening. Yeah, that's that's a great example, Tim, of a way in which you can see that this comes into play uh, in, in something like a dream state. Let me ask you uh, about another one uh, that I know you've been thinking about, and that is our different views or perceptions of ourselves and of God. Do those get influenced in some of this as a sign? And it seems like one of the ways we can find that is all of a sudden we start to believe very negative things, not just about other people, but even about God. Oh, yeah. That, that made everybody's list, mm-hmm. right? We, um, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he asked this interesting question, if God is for us, 
who can be against us? His answer is going to be, well, God is absolutely for you, thus nobody can ultimately be against you. Mm -hmm. So if you start to feel that, you know, I can't trust God anymore. Mm -hmm. Why pray? He's not there for us anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Paul would later say, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8, 39. Well, Mm -hmm. we feel like, but I have been separated from the love of God. Mm -hmm. God doesn't love me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Now, listen, doubt is just part and parcel of being a Christian, right? We all go through seasons of doubt. That I don't think this is what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're talking about you have become convinced mm-hmm. God is not in your corner and you can't trust him anymore. Mm-hmm. I think they're saying that's a sign of spiritual battle. Yeah, that's a good one. So we've covered a couple of these, uh, Tim, signs, and, and we have one more I think is really important, and that's this idea that we now also uh, begin to see how we do this thing called self-talk, this yeah. th- this view about the things I say to myself. And so another sign is what? that The idea that we just don't believe even the best things about what we used to think about ourselves or that we are these evil, bad, wrong, yeah. uh, unhappy, or we yeah. just are unable to do or look at uh, other people with compassion. And what do you think? Right. So listen, in every marriage, in every marriage, and certainly with parenting, you just kind of think, man, I could have done that better. I, I really could have been a better spouse mm-hmm. this weekend. Mm-hmm. I, I was consumed with business. I was consumed with different things. I overreacted to my child. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. And that might even be the guilt of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Saying, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, man, you were a little bit harsh with your wife mm-hmm. or you were a little bit harsh with the kids. I don't think that's spiritual battle, but I like what Kurt Thompson says. He's a psychologist and an author. He said this, Guilt is something I feel because I have done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. So if I begin to think I'm the worst husband there is, there is nothing good about me being a husband, then I think we're talking about spiritual battle. Yeah, I I think that's really important for listeners to understand, too, that difference between guilt and shame. Shame is one of those topics that... Uh, and, and one of those things that comes in and can invade and and it can devastate people because what what you start doing, Tim, is you start to compare yourself unfavorably with other people. You are the worst husband. You are the worst spouse. And then the shame takes over. And I think yeah. that can very well, when that starts to be a constant theme, yeah. it could very well be a sign of some other things you need to deal with between what something that you're dealing with, but it could also very well be this spiritual attack or battle on you. Um, and so that's one sign to look for. Hey, let, let me mention one topic that I think we probably should talk a little bit uh, about, and that is people might be thinking, hey, well, okay, so I can be influenced by Satan, but what about like demonic possession? Mm-hmm. Can Satan ever um, demonically possess a believer? Now this, we don't have time. Mm-hmm. To go into this, and quite frankly, it's probably above our pay grade, but I think most theologians would agree that certainly influence can happen, oppression can happen. In other words, you've given a lot of footholds to Satan, but can demonization happen? And most theologians agree that since the Holy Spirit indwells you, uh, if you're a believer, and that'd be John chapter 14, verse 7, Romans 8, 9, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it's impossible for a demonic entity to also indwell you and consume you and be in full control of a believer. So simply put, demons do not have the ability to kick out or evict the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Well, Tim, let's continue this and talk a little bit about what are some different ways, if it's not possession, if it's not inhabiting, or or there is 
very clearly a spiritual influence, uh, right? And we've been talking about that. So after the break, let's come back and talk about that. How's that sound? Sounds great. If you enjoy this content, please share it with people around you. With podcasts, the best promotion is often word of mouth. So tell someone who may be interested in the content to take a look, listen to us. Yeah, that's right. And another way you can do that is by giving us feedback and rating the podcast on iTunes. All right, we're back. Uh, Tim, we've been talking about um, spiritually defending your marriage, uh, the reality of the spiritual battle. And then now we've been talking about uh, the actual specifics when it comes to things like um, signs of spiritual and demonic activity and spiritual influence. So one of the things that happens is we begin to see that um, there are clearly uh, moments when we feel uh, the presence that there is something going on that's not good, that is evil, um, and other times we're just simply not aware of it. And so talking about these signs can be very helpful for couples to identify when it is that they're actually facing this. So what would you say about that? Yeah. Uh, so we mentioned just a couple that a lot of people write about spiritual battle from a Christian perspective talk about. And we said that was inappropriate anger. We said it was impending doom. Uh, not believing the best about God anymore, not believing the best about yourself anymore, violent dreams, things like that. It would be fun, though, to put together an honorable mention list. In other words, it wasn't mentioned by all authors, right. but these ones regularly came yeah. up. So yeah. here are just a couple we can comment yeah, on sure. very quickly. Right. Uh, it would be Ohio State winning a national championship in football. <laughs> that wasn't mentioned by everybody. No, just one person, in yeah, fact. Well, yeah, me. Okay, but it was one person. No, here are just some honorable mentions. A strong aversion to the name of Jesus. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, Chris? Yeah. And I think because um, for the most part, um, he was well known and, and, and is well known that name Jesus throughout the world, through all different religions, um, and as a good man. And there are very few people that would identify him in a negative way. They may not recognize him as God or the son of God yeah. or who he was, but he was even seen by many others in different religions as being a wise, high moral, you know, epitome of what is good. But when there's some reactions to that name uh, that seem to be Far greater. It's almost that biblical notion when they yeah. said, even Paul said, even the demons know this when they hear the name of Jesus, and and they shudder at that name, right? And that's a a reaction that's very different. Yeah. Another one was an inability to pray. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, again, that could be caused by a multitude of reasons. But I've met people who have said, "Listen, I just I can't pray yeah. anymore. I just feel like I'm in a." dark hole. I feel like God's mad at me. Mm-hmm. I feel like he doesn't want to listen to me. He answers yep. everybody's prayers, but he doesn't answer my prayers. So I don't want to pray anymore. Yeah. I remember my roommate in college, uh, We, uh, I had only been a Christian for about a year and he talked about it and it really surprised me and shocked me when he said he's struggling with prayer. And I said, well, what? I don't understand that. What does that mean? And he said, I just feel like my prayers never bounce. They just simply bounce off the ceiling. They don't go any further. And so what's the use? And I and I remember thinking, looking at him like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want that to ever happen. But he was clearly struggling with this idea of spiritual dryness. And that was what he called it, this inability to feel like he should or could pray, then even if he did, God didn't care here. And that's a good way to phrase it, Chris. 
listen, all of us have spiritual dryness. All of us go through times when I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're talking about that. We're saying when you do try to pray, you do feel like you're hitting a brick wall Mm -hmm. and that brick wall just seems to go on and on and on. Hey, another one is personal or family problems that do not respond to therapy. Right. Again, we're we're pro-therapy. Right. My goodness. But... So we, I've met people, Chris, who are, I'll say to them when they talk about their marital problems, hey, have you thought about mm-hmm. therapy? And they'll say, yeah, we've been in therapy for 10 years. Right. Have you thought about switching therapists? Yeah, we've switched. This is our third one. Well, then I think you start to think, okay, this could be demonic activity is why mm-hmm. therapy just isn't working at that particular time. Yeah, and there's a whole lot out there that... Uh, is it could very well just simply be the lack of finding the right drug or the right medication or the right therapist. And we have yeah. to recognize that. But it does make the honorable mention list because it can very well be a sign, right? Same with even connecting maybe, uh, Tim, with other people in a healthy, yeah. intimate way, especially Christians. So that's kind of a subset of that. But the ability to to make connections like that or, or feeling an overwhelming sense of loneliness, even in the midst of a you know, a, a great church setting where you just don't make those connections. So that's another one. Uh, one that was convicting to me is physical problems that do not respond to, uh, respond to medication. So here, here, let's talk about this for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of mess things up a little bit. So I'm a migraine sufferer. Mm-hmm. I've been suffering from migraines ever since grad school, to be honest. So that's like what? That's 15, 16, 17 years. Right. And I, I've tried everything. You know, I've tried all the medication you can think of. I've actually tried Botox, mm-hmm. which has been approved by the FDA. You are looking a lot younger, Thank by you. the way. Yeah. Um, and then God bless people when they hear me talk about migraines. Just God bless them because they come yeah. with all the homeopathic stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, have you tried peppermint? And yes, I've tried peppermint. Have you tried, right? Okay. So I've tried all these things. And to be honest, um, these migraines just continue to work. Now, here's what I think is interesting, Chris. Never once have I thought migraines equate it with spiritual battle. Right. Never once. Mm-hmm. I think the Apostle Paul would look at me, right? Mm-hmm. I think Jesus would look at me and say, Tim, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. That has never even crossed your mind mm-hmm. that your migraines might be of some form of mm-hmm. spiritual battle. And mm-hmm. to be honest, Chris, it has never crossed my mind until now when I think, boy, isn't it interesting? Again, I'm not going to stop taking medication, mm-hmm. but I'm going to maybe augment that with fighting back spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. And praying uh, specifically for relief, for help, but but also the strength and the ability to when it does hurt, right, or when the pain is there, to be able to respond in a way. Um, I, I feel the same way over years. Since I was young, same thing. For me, it's been lower back issues, right? Oh, and yeah. just constant, uh, it seems like, uh, periods of time where it just hurts. It w- it's not easy to see that spiritually or at least the battle there, but I do think it's very important to be able to recognize those kinds of things, even if it's not a spiritual battle, to then but by praying and saying, Lord, I, I know you know this. I mean, this is what Paul talked about, his right. thorn in the flesh. Oh, he yeah. identified it and said, Lord, if it's possible, remove this. But if not, right, I know you're giving me the strength and the ability and and help me to see uh, the way in which I can use this in some way to bring you glory. Tim, it's been good talking with you. Yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff.